following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. You know something I've come to, to realize is, and you're probably going to say, well, how long did it take you to realize that, preacher? Um, I've come to realize that people will argue about anything. Okay, I mean, it, it does not. It does not matter. Um, I mean, you you see it in all walks of life, and one of the places you see it most specifically is because these days you can argue without ever even seeing somebody face to face, because that can be a little intimidating. But boy, everybody can be pretty tough when they're sitting behind a computer screen and a keyboard or a, or a phone screen. All right, so I've noticed that when you go to any type of public forum. What you're going to find taking place there sooner or later is people arguing, all right? And they will argue, like I said, about just anything. I mean, I, I, I happen to go to some, some hunting message boards occasionally, and I'll tell you what, hunters, men, women, because men, women, it's made up both men and women, they will argue about everything, from the clothes, the camouflage, from the stands, from you name it, from the fishing stuff, because usually most people hunt fish too, they'll argue about all of it. And this is what usually happens at some point in that argument. Well, how many deer you shot? How big deer you shot? You know, and you can just hear it. I mean, you read the words, but you can hear the voice saying the words. It's like that. How big a boy are you? You know, it's, but it's not how big a boy are you. It's how big are the deer you shot? You know, let's see what you're for real. And that's what people are trying to find out. They want to find out if somebody is the real deal. And you can apply this to so many things. Mushroom hunting. Anybody been mushroom hunting yet this year? Okay. Found two of them in my yard just this past week. That's pretty encouraging. Although two years ago we found 20 of them. So I don't know what happened. Anyway, but um, mushroom hunting, crappie fishing, garage sailing, landscaping. This time of year, you name it. I mean, there's stuff that people are involved in. And how do you measure if that person is the real deal? How do you measure it? By their dedication? By results? Oh, we know how you measure it, don't we? It's by results. It's about... Who fills the most nets with morel mushrooms? Okay, and you don't carry morel mushrooms in a grocery sack. You know, a true morel mushroom hunter, they will slap you in the face. They see that because you got to carry them in those pantyhose net things. You know what I mean? So you're dropping those, those mushroom spores all over the place. I don't even know if it even works. I know nothing about that stuff. All right, so, but it's whoever can fill the most of those up or whoever can fill the most five-gallon buckets full of one-and-a-half-pound slab crappie. All right? It's, it's, that's it. We got the crappie king himself sitting right back, back there in the back, and he's been filling buckets with slabs of crappie. It's how, how much stuff you can stuff in the truck bed by spending the least amount of money. Okay? That's garage sailing. That's it right there. And I use that term stuff very liberally. Okay? All right. Um, how about this? The flower bed still looks good in August. Anybody can have a flower bed that looks good in May. Anybody can. But if it still looks good in August, ah, she, he, they're the real deal. You know, because it's all about results. As we look to this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 12 today, though, I believe Jesus might offer a little bit of a new perspective. Now, last week, we jumped into, as I said, we're into the last week of Jesus' life before the cross. It has been termed the Passion Week. Um, it, it, it started, I mean, today is Palm Sunday. 
I mean, we started our journey through the Passion Week several weeks ago, but this is, historically speaking, Palm Sunday. When he came into Jerusalem and they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the highest. And, but it's not Sunday what we're looking at today. We're looking at Tuesday, and we talked about this last week. Tuesday, that Tuesday of Jesus' life, we have more information written about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than any other day in his entire life. I mean, he he started the day in the temple. It's still Tuesday. Let's just kind of very quickly make a run-through of what Jesus did on that Tuesday. He arrived in Jerusalem. In the morning, he went to the temple. Um, Jesus kind of had a little bit of a confrontation with the religious leaders in the temple, and he went from there, and he ended up telling some parables, some stories about the consequences of rejecting God's call and his authority. All right, after that, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, those were the three most powerful political entities in Jerusalem, okay? And all three of them didn't like Jesus too much because to them he posed a threat because he was powerful, okay? So the Herodians came and questioned Jesus. They're like, we're going to try to trap him with questions. The Sadducees came next. The Pharisees came after them. And they unsuccessfully tried to trap Jesus with questions, They weren't successful, okay? And then Jesus has a question of his own that they are unable to answer. And they're just dumbfounded. They really can't say anything. And I'll tell you what happens next is there's a picture of of passion and emotion that we probably don't get if we're not careful when we're not reading the scriptures, okay? Because what happens next is Jesus lays into the religious leaders, And he pronounces upon them the seven or eight, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, the seven or eight woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you. Woe to you. He does that time after time, and it is weighing upon him as he's doing it. Because believe it or not, as much as they hate him, he doesn't hate them in return. So this was not easy for him to pronounce these woes upon them. And at the end, he attaches the entire city of Jerusalem to these woes because the people of Jerusalem, they're blind following of these religious leaders. That would end up by the end of the week of those people of Jerusalem shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. You see, all of this takes a toll on Jesus, it appears. I mean... When he says those words, when he weeps over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've wanted to gather you like a hen gathers his chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. You said he kills the prophets and stones the messengers sent to you. And he's just pouring his heart out here and it takes a toll on him. And this is the deal. He's still got a lot of Tuesday left. He's not even halfway through the day yet. He hasn't even left the temple yet. Remember, as he came into Jerusalem, he entered to that gate, and he, boom, it dumps him right out into the temple. He hasn't even left the temple yet. And his heart is heavy. Thankfully, though, before he leaves the temple, in the area of the temple, something, or more specifically, someone catches his eye and brings a smile to his face and encouragement to his heart. And it might not be the person you would expect. And I'll tell you what, this short passage of just four verses we're going to look at, just four verses, one word comes to mind, and I have it written in my Bible. 
when looking at what Jesus has dealt with the past hour or two, and then what happens next? And the word is this, contrast. Completely different. One note before we jump this passage. I'm going to tell you, we're just going to be looking at the last four verses of Mark chapter 12. And as we set that up, and as we look to what takes place here, we, 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 need, to, we need to be aware of something. I told you that there were seven or eight woes that Jesus pronounced. The reason that's a little confusing, those woes are in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you read those woes, the second of those woes written in your Bible most likely has brackets around them. And what that means is, is that woe was not in the most original, the oldest text, Greek text we have of Matthew. And you're like, well, where did it come from then? Well, it got added later. The reason it was added is because Mark and Luke include another woe, if you will. And somebody at some point said, well, we're going to pull that one from there and we're going to insert it into these woes. But Mark and Luke don't really call it a woe. It's more or less a preface to what happens next. And what they say is this, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you who devour widows' houses. What that amounted to was this, the Pharisees, I, I know this sounds kind of strange, we think of, of, of preachers today or, or religious leaders and, and that's, that's like the one role that they fill, you know. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they fulfilled multiple roles. They were political. They were, they were financial. I mean, many of them were lawyers. And Pharisees, part of their responsibility, <laughs> responsibility was to act as guardians of widows' estates. And many, many times they would fleece these poor women. And by poor, I don't mean poor financially speaking, I'm talking about take advantage of these women, fleecing them with legal fees, and they would devour their estates. Both Mark and Luke include Jesus' judgment of this corrupt activity right before our passage about, guess what? A widow. That's interesting to me. And I'll tell you this, the picture that they paint, Jesus' words for those who take advantage of these women, the picture painted of judgment is not pretty. Let's jump into verse 41, okay? It says this, and he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury. Let's just stop right there for a moment, okay? Okay? So Jesus has just left pronouncing the woes. He's on his way out of the temple. But before he's out of the temple, and maybe he just needs a break. I, I mean, he is, he's emotionally, he's physically probably somewhat exhausted. And he finds a place to take a seat. I mean, it says he sat down. And so he goes and he, he sits down and takes a little bit of a break. Like I said, this is a long day. It's not even half over yet. And the question is, did Jesus just sit down just to collect himself for a moment? I mean... Man, he just got with it, all right? And he probably got pretty emotional. I mean, is he just taking a moment to just collect himself for a little bit? What Jesus does next, oh man, my mom would love it. Because my mom is 
Webster's definition of a people watcher. Maybe we have some of those in this room. Where, where you would be perfectly, perfectly content to go to the mall and not go in one single shop. But to just sit down right in the middle of the mall, just outside the food court, because that's usually the best place, and right by a fountain or something, and just take a seat and just watch people. And not really care if they notice that you're watching them, because that's kind of fun, you know. And you just watch them, and you just watch them. Now, if you're like my father-in-law, he takes it to the next level, and he will nudge you like... <laughs> My mom doesn't quite go that far, all right? So this is, my mom would like this because apparently that's exactly what Jesus does here. Check this out. Verse 41, let's read the rest of it. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Now Jesus is, has now come into the courtroom, we talked about this a few weeks ago, because the, the temple was this huge, I mean, the, the temple as a whole would comprise almost 35 acres, so we're talking about a big area, and on the outside, you have the, you have the court, or the courtyard of the Gentiles, and the next step in, you have the courtyard of women, the Gentiles could not come in there, right, And Jesus is sitting in the court of women, and he's sitting there, and he's watching, and what he's looking at across the way is 13 brass, bronze, funnel tube-looking things, okay? I mean, mean, they're pretty big up at the top, kind of like a trumpet shape, if you will. They get narrow as they get to the bottom, and then they drop into these, these bronze, these brass containers. And what these were for is these were... Offering receptacles. There were 13 of these, all right? Each one was for a different type of offering. And we're not talking about a sacrifice here of some kind like an animal. No, we're talking about money, okay? And there were 13 of them. Each one of these funnel-shaped tubes here was also labeled by what the money would be used for if it was put into that particular receptacle. You remember the days... Of pots and pans, pots and pans, drums. Anybody remember those? Now, fortunately, um, Donna, our, our girls, when they were younger, um, they had no no big ideas of being a drummer in a rock band or anything. Okay, we never had to go through the pots and the pans coming out of of the cupboard and then grabbing. It does not matter what it is as long as it's loud. Something to beat on them with. All right, and maybe that's just not a thing anymore. I, I don't know. But most homes at some point in time has the pots and pans, drums. And most of you are quite excited when that era is over in the home. Okay? And, but if you've heard that before, or maybe you are a pot, maybe you are, maybe you're a very talented pot and pan drummer yourself once upon a time. All right? I'm sure Mike Harden was. You know, he's a drummer today. Drummers are weird. Okay? So, um, so, well, he's my brother-in-law. I'm going to say that. So, um, what you got here is you got something like that taking place on some level. And Jesus is watching what's taking place. And he's not the only one watching, though. They made these brass and bronze, whatever, for a reason. Because it, it's music to the ears of the religious leaders. <laughs> Hearing that sound made. 
You see, the main form of currency in that day and that time, there, was no, there wasn't paper currency, folks. From, from the very largest of, of monetary to the smallest monetary, they was all coins, all right? So you got people throwing these coins, and the more they threw in, the more music there was. The more music, the greater the attention. People are proudly throwing in their stack of coins in their hands. And, oh, I've made a good racket. You see that? <laughs> I'm an alternative rock guy myself, all right? Whew, I mean, you got, you got somebody over here who's a bluegrass. He only gave like half a handful. I got two handfuls of coins I'm shoving in that thing, and everybody's paying attention like, you notice that? Yeah, thank you very much, all right? And they carry on and go on their way. And, guys, this is what you got to understand. This is the Passover. There's a lot of this going on. And the people coming up and throwing these large handfuls of money into these and throwing it in there hard so everybody will hear it, you know, and look around. Oh, man, that guy put a bunch in over there. Woo, yeah. I don't think they paid too much attention to Jesus' advice in the Sermon on the Mount when he said something about when you give to the Lord, if you want your reward for your giving from the Lord, do it discreetly. If you make a show of it, you will receive your reward from man. And man does not reward like God rewards. Well, Jesus is watching all of this take place, and there's probably others impressed by all. I mean, like I said, it is Passover week, and there's large gifts being thrown in. Jesus is not impressed by all the sound and all of the noise of those gifts. He's watching, though, and something, or more specifically, someone catches his eye. And she kind of appears out of nowhere. She doesn't really fit in with the other givers. She doesn't even really want to be noticed by him. I mean, it's obvious looking at this woman that she, she is poor. And she's trying hard, hard, hard not to be noticed by the... She's in the midst of all these upper crust people, you know. She's just trying to weave her, her way through. And, and what is she doing? And, and maybe perhaps a calloused observer would think, doesn't she know that the beggar's line is outside the temple? You don't come to where people are giving their offering and beg. Somebody call the guards. Get this woman out of here. Get her out of here. Let's continue on. Verse 42. She wasn't there to receive anything. A poor widow came and put two small copper coins. She put them in. These two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Small copper coins, they were often called in that day mites. All right? And that word mite was a derivative from the word to peel. You understand this? In other words, these coins were so... Small and so lacking in any value that they were quite literally just shavings of metal. To be honest, they probably weren't worth the time it would take whoever collected the offering later that day. They weren't really worth the time of collecting and counting them up. Matter of fact, you could hardly... You'd have to listen really close to hear those as they, as they 
clank their way down the brass funnel to the receptacle. And then I'm guessing that that woman hurried on her way very quickly, but somebody noticed. Have you ever, you ever taken a walk in the woods with a two-year-old? And it doesn't even have to be the woods, it can be the backyard. And, and it's like, you remember, you remember what the two-year-olds say. They don't say, come here, Dad. It's, mere Dad. Usually there's not even a cut in there. It's just, mere, mere. Our daughters didn't even say, Dad. They just say, mere, mere, mere. You know, they stopped this about three or four months ago. They've, you know, but no. But it's like, mere, mere, Dad, I'll show you something. And they're so excited. I mean, they're so excited. Mirror, mirror. And, and they're down here. And it's like, okay, all right, so you got to get down there, right? I'm saying, what do you see? What do you see? And they point at it. It's a roly poly. And you're like, whew, it's pretty good. And your mind, I mean, you're not going to say, you dummy, it's just a roly poly. There's thousands of them out here, okay? I mean, you might be thinking it, but you're not, you better not say that to a two year old. Good grief. Look at verse 43. You know what Jesus says to his apostles? Mirror. Mirror, fellas. Think about what has happened to this point in this week. I mean, Jesus has already healed people. Jesus has put the religious leaders in their place. Jesus cleansed the temple the day before. The disciples are like, oh, Jesus calls her. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So they're like, what you got for us, Jesus? What you got? See that woman over there? And I know what Peter's thinking. He's thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? That's a roly-poly. You called us over here for that? Because they rush over. And, and let's see here. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, This poor widow put in more than all the contributors. All of them. She put more into the treasury than all of them. I know what Judas is thinking right here, okay? Now Judas, he's going to take a little bit of a more significant role here in a few days. Now there's two Judases who are among the followers, the close disciples of Jesus, all right? The one I'm talking about is Judas Iscariot. And he was the treasurer of the group. And I don't know if Peter, James, and John are thinking this, but I know Judas is like, what did you just say? She put in two mites, Jesus. We couldn't even hear him go down the tube. And you're saying she gave more than everyone else put together. Uh, doesn't make sense. But Jesus explains. Verse 44, he says, For they put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned and all she had to live on. Jesus looks 
those young men around him and he says, you see that woman? She gave it all. Nobody else over there did. She gave it all. You know, I don't, I don't really think the primary, now I'm sure that this example this woman gave, I'm sure it's been used in the context of teaching and, and sermons over the years as, as something about how, how we give monetarily, financially to the Lord. I'm, I'm sure it has, but I don't really think that's the primary reason Mark and Luke included this. I don't think they included it to give us a lesson on giving money to the work of the Lord. I mean, there's a good lesson there for sure. I, I, there, there is. This woman gave, and it hurt. I mean, she, it hurt she gave. But I think there's more to this than that. You see, in that day, in that time, there was no social support system. This, this, this woman could not go to, to a social security office and sit down in front of, of an administrator or an assistant and say, get me signed up. There was nothing like that. The best thing they had was, was beggar's row outside the temple. That, that's really just about it. And widows were in a pretty poor place actually in that day and time because there just weren't very many women in that day and in that society who were given the opportunity to make something of themselves financially. Unless they were a prostitute. It was a tough time for women. This woman had nothing left. She gave everything she could. Folks, it's Tuesday. It's halfway through Tuesday. In three days, you know what Jesus would do? Exactly the same. He would give everything. And in the midst of the circus that much of the Passover had become, in the midst of all of that going on, Jesus desperately wanted to see somebody who got it. I mean, even among his closest followers, they didn't know what that week was about. He tried to tell them they wouldn't listen. They didn't know his purpose that week was to give everything. And Jesus desperately wanted to see someone who understood the significance of giving everything he had. This woman had nothing else. What's she going to eat the next day? Jesus found his encouragement. He found his encouragement of all places in the sacrificial deed of a widow woman, a poor widow woman. And he saw in this woman someone who was willing to put everything into her heavenly father's hands. And say, that's all I got, God. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's in your hands. Jesus was impressed. 
this week we will celebrate a Savior who gave all for us. Got a question for you. What, what does Jesus ask for in return? I mean, he gave everything for you and for me. What does he ask for in return from us? And I say, well, preacher, I, I mean, scripture makes it pretty clear. It's a it's the gift is free. Kind of. The gift wasn't free. It cost the blood of Jesus. The gift can be given freely because he paid the price for it in our place. Does he ask for anything in return? And I would say... If you look at the whole of scripture, that answer is yes. Because this is the thing. Jesus doesn't just call us to come to him to find the Savior. Jesus calls for us to find a Savior and a Lord. And what Jesus expects from us in return is nothing short of everything. He says, I gave my life for you. I want it all. A couple years before, you know what Jesus said to those who wanted to follow him? He said, you want to follow me? You take up your cross and follow me. That was long before, that was long before the cross he would end up on. And those people who heard him say that are like, okay, what? Wait a second here. It'd be like, it'd be like going up to someone and saying, I want to follow you. What do I need to do? I mean, it'd be like, take up your electric chair and follow me. Because that's what it meant to his hearers in that day. The cross was nothing more than a mode of very excruciating execution. And he said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. I want it all. And this is the thing. Jesus says, hold nothing back. And this is the problem. Many times when people come to Jesus and they come just to him as Savior and not Lord as well, they have a tendency to hold some things back and say, you can have part of me, but not all of me. This part of my life here, I don't really want that to change. I kind of like the way it's going. And Jesus says, now I want it. That needs to change. Or maybe on this side, now this one's a little bit, this one hurts because this one's a little bit more along the lines of the baggage that we carry to the cross with us. And it comes in the form of guilt and shame. And he says, I want it. I paid the price for those sins. What are you carrying the burden for? I paid the price for it. Drop it. He says, I want it all. When Jesus saw this woman, she saw a woman willing to give it all. That's exactly what he wants from us. He says, you can't handle it. Give it to me. 
I want every bit of you. I want the parts of you that you are ashamed of, that you don't want anybody to know about. I know about it already. I'm Jesus. Let it go. I want the parts of the life that you still got to hold on because you think you can do that part of your life better than I can. Sorry, you can't. I'm Jesus. Let it go. I want all of you. And he will settle for nothing less. That is the message of Easter.